I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. For the past two to three years, I've been writing a weekly column at Chapelboro.com. It's a local publication here in North Carolina, and that column is titled Right as Rain. That was kind of their idea, but, you know, it's got a nice little ring to it. I don't know how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? Hopefully hopefully you like it. But anyway, it started off as a living your best life column. We talked about different things to, to take control over our health and happiness in the area, in the North Carolina area. And it has since molded and evolved into a connecting with your community column. Now, you all probably know, if you haven't read it, if you have, then you, then, then you know. But if you haven't, you could probably guess that I still kind of squeeze in some storytelling advice in there because it's all interconnected, right? It's all overlapping. Stories are a part of our pursuit of health and happiness, right? That's that's my thesis. That's my purpose, my mission. So one of my favorite benefits that I've had, besides being able to communicate and and and, and connect deeper with my audience, and besides uh, another source of revenue, uh, one of the other benefits that I've enjoyed from this column, this weekly column that I've written over 100 entries in, 
is a press pass to the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival here in Durham. It's a mile from my house, and it's one of the largest documentary film festivals in the world. I've attended it. I have volunteered at it 15 years ago when I was just out of college, and all the best documentaries come through there. It's a great little gem that that Durham, you know, a town of 100,000 people, has to offer the world. People come from all over the world. And since I started writing for chapelboro.com, I got press passes to go, which means I had access to all the filmmakers and and the films that I could book, and I could meet with them and write about them, and, and it was outstanding. Now, unfortunately, we didn't have the physical version of the festival this year due to the coronavirus, Uh, So sad to say I wasn't able to make it this year, but in the previous two years, I've had excellent, excellent experiences with filmmakers that have had really powerful, profound films uh, premiering there. In 2018, it was the Oscar-nominated Minding the Gap from Bing Liu. I had a great conversation with Bing about the cycle of violence that is also I wrote about on uh, chapelboro.com, so that's also featured there. And last year, 2019, I had an hour-long conversation with Burke Uzzel and Jethro Waters. Jethro Waters was the filmmaker of the film F11 and Be There, which was about North Carolina legendary photographer Burke Uzzel. So... I I got to sit with both of them. The film was amazing. F11 and Be There. And Burke is amazing. He's just this, he's a character. That's what storytelling and stories all come back to, right? We've talked about this so much. It's about characters. But when I saw the way that they collaborated together and the relationship that they had and the story that Jethro wove together about the stories that Burke has been telling for decades through his, his imagery and his pictures... I was so excited to talk to them, and I already had it scheduled. Here, here's a quick little story. I knew I wanted to attend that film, and I wanted to talk to them. About a week before the festival came, I got an email from their publicist saying, hey, read some of your articles on uh, Chapelboro. It seems like you'd be a great fit for uh, this filmmaker I'm working with, uh, Jethro Waters and Burke Uzzel, F11, and be there. Would you like to interview them? And I was like, I forget her name, unfortunately, but I wrote back. I was like, um... Did you know that I was already planning to go to that film and speak with them? <laughs> or that's what I wanted to do. And so when we realized that, we're like, okay, well, it's a definite. So we carved out some time. I don't know that they knew we were going to talk that long, and neither did I. But we went off for so long because we're all from the South. We're from North Carolina. We're all artists and storytellers that are trying to fight the good fight and, and embrace and tell the world about the great things about the South while doing our duties, as I see it, to help the help the region that we love so much grow, continue to grow and progress and evolve, right? Because as we all know, there are certain areas where the South, the South still has a lot of room for improvement, okay? So I love Southern storytellers, and here I had two at my disposal, and we just nerded out about, about heart and art and empathy and characters and Southern storytelling, and we had a great conversation, and... We've, I've never released it. I wrote about it in my column. I did release a video recently, just a two-minute clip of it. But I thought that this was a time where we could really listen to, to three of us chatting about how we can change the narrative and, and continue to progress as a people, as a region, as a society through sharing stories. Okay? So please, please enjoy my conversation with Burke Uzzel and Jethro Waters I hope that you love it. 
I saw something, Burke. Uh, you know, you're talking about this concept of the, the, the pas de deux, the dance for two, the duet. Uh, and we, they also talked about it in the, the Q&A, just with you, you two together obviously have had to find that chemistry and individually, like you as a filmmaker, you as a photographer, I experienced that too when, it, when you know when I interview people. How how important is it to find that point of empathy with the person that you're working with, and how do you do it? Nothing can happen without it. So you you know you're as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's everything. Even in our individual work, but then working together, um, and it you know it didn't take us that long to discover the connection because we just we just intuitively think so many about so many things the same way but you know it was it was just it was never an uphill we didn't have to struggle to do it it just fell into place what but, about with somebody that maybe you didn't click with immediately or like your backgrounds are completely different right like there's always somewhere we can line up that's what I tend to try to do. Like, what, what is it? Is it college basketball? Like, but how do you, how do you find that with someone that you're just meeting or maybe come from a completely different background? Cause it's still important, right? When you're working with them, is there a strategy? What do you guys seek to do? Um, on another project outside yeah, of yeah, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, I, I think, and I have to just riff on what, what I've heard Burke say so many times, which is proven true. And I've, you know, when I've given talks to other producers and directors and things like that from other uh, studios, and um, presented to them this film and talked about it, you know, a lot of their questions were, "How do you set up and and um, build that relationship with that subject?" And I'm like, "Well, you just you just sit and listen." You know, like you just you just show up and spend as much time as you can with that with that person without sticking a camera in their face and making a separation between you two. You know, and I the first day I showed up, I filmed Burke, but uh, that footage we didn't we didn't use at all. You know, I, I just showed up being like, okay, the producer scheduled this thing, and I was like, I'm gonna meet Burke, and I, I sat down, and we shook hands, we talked for a minute, I was like, this is gonna be great. <laughs> but I, I would never follow that that method in general, and you know, I put down the camera, and Burke and I had a long conversation after that, and I think that's I think that's the ticket. You have to you have to spend at least try to spend three days with somebody before you stick a camera in their face and assume that you know what they're going to do and what they what they think and, mm. and who they are as a person i mean if if you can build that rapport then you're gonna you're gonna start building that trust and that, that empathy and that's everything you know yeah you, know, you said an interesting point <laughs> which is easier said than done about listening yeah. and kind of giving providing that space or allowing that space i, I don't know if there was a specific person that said this, but I often, I've heard it. And I often think about this when I'm interviewing is like, <clears throat> often when we're interviewing people and there's like the silence that can be kind of awkward quickly, it's like a rookie mistake or you may be quick to want to fill that and save them. But something I work on is just, just be comfortable in that silence. Usually the best, best stuff tends to come out of those moments. So can you like just from an interviewing, you know, from a documentary storytelling perspective, how important is it to give that space that you're kind of already alluding to and just listen and just be silent and don't try to control, you know, the, the flow so much. Right. Well, once you've worked with somebody, you know, long enough, 
you you kind of understand the kind of delivery they're going to give mm. and how how close they are to you and, and like I don't know if you've seen the the short film that Burke and I did it remains yeah about. for sure so that I think is the perfect example of we already we, we had developed this long chemistry and this long relationship from working together for for a while and then Burke came up with this brilliant idea that he wanted to make a photograph about um, this this the statue in its form and he called it remains and was like, that's brilliant <laughs> and, you know and uh, then um, so we're like let's let's make a film on it too let's make a short let's just put it out in the world we don't need to try to do the film festivals yeah, or yeah let's yeah. just make it and put it out in the world and see what happens and and hopefully people watch it and be affected by it and what that was is Burke and I were having a conversation that whole time while he was while he was you know composing we were talking and i was you know filming him and then afterwards we sat down the next morning and we did a voiceover um and it was i didn't i didn't come up with any extreme extremely brilliant questions to get the information out of burke i already i already knew what he was going to say more or less how he was going to express himself all i did was have to come up with prompts burke talk about this talk about you know and then i just let him go and he gave everything and then i just had to cut it to fit you know so i think i think it's really you know and that only that's only because we had worked so much with each other and knew, you know, the sensibilities of the other person, you know, which had become very simpatico. And isn't that, that's at the um, African American History Museum, is that right? Mm -hmm. How did that happen? That was because of uh, Burke's friend, um, Bill at, at Duke. Uh, Alex Harris? Or? Bill, um, the, the folklore. Oh, uh, Bill uh, Ferris. Bill Ferris yeah. is, is one of Burke's good friends. And I think Burke sent it out once we got it done and Bill got, got a hold of it and fell in love with it. And it was like, I've put together this or helped put together this big uh, civil rights collection mm -hmm. um, of uh, photography that's going around. We would love to use your, your you and Burke's film and your work that's on remains awesome. to, to, to travel with that. And so I sent them the master file and said, go nuts. <laughs> you know, that's killer. Yeah. Uh, Burke to that point of getting to know someone so that you can know what to expect from them. You may not have the same amount of time if you have someone in the studio for a day to take that picture as, you know, we're talking about just spend days with them and you're making a documentary that's going to take two years. Is there like something different that you may do in that situation? Because I still think it would be valuable to know what to expect from that type of person, the type of movement that would that's going to work well, how they're going to deliver. Is there something that you do to try to reach that same point of empathy and connection in what seems like it would be a much shorter amount of time? It's almost the opposite. Uh, what I try to do is to not try to do much of anything. I'm by nature quiet and kind of a hermit and shy and uh, I'm not a beat my own drum kind of person. And so people come in, let me show you around. I show them, you know, here's the bathroom, you know, here's, what would you like to drink? And we just we just kind of ease into a situation. And I just believe in taking a lot of time. Now, as often as possible, I don't invite anybody into the studio to photograph them unless I already know them. Mm -hmm. I'll go, you know, I'll go to their house. A lot of the people that I photograph, you, you know, like the people that were singing, you know, I've been to their house and hung out with them before they ever came to the house. Amy and Gilbert. You were talking about the Vine Sisters. The, the no, and, Brad, or the Vine yeah. Sisters. Yeah. You were talking about them for a long time before they came. Yeah, and I'd met them, you know, but, but you know, the, the film opens with this woman singing Amazing Grace and so forth. And I'd been to their home and gotten to know them before. I, I met them in church, went to their home and hung out, and then eventually had them come to the studio. 
And the same has been true with an awful lot of other people. So that's, that's the best way to do it. If you can't do it that way, then just be quiet. You know, just let them say, you know, I, I really need you to tell me about yourself. You know, and then that opens people up. That's, an, you know, that's unlocking the door to who they are. And so, you know, I really, I really can't take any pictures of you until I know really what you care about. Tell me, tell me what means a lot to you, and, you know, whatever dumb questions I can think of to answer. Mm. So I start from there. I don't, I try not to be a controlling person. I think you know, I'll do key. it with the light and I'll do it with the composition. But they cue me into that. Um, you know, every, every face is a, is, a, is a landscape. It's a psychological landscape. So you find the, the road in. You know, um, part of the reason why when Susanna reached out to me, I, I was really excited to talk to you both is, <clears throat> you, you know, we're all from the South, from North Carolina. Um, I think we all have major love for the South. And I know I've you know seen some interviews, Burke, where you've talked about <laughs> just the the new South versus the old South, and the the, the love and pain that comes along, you know, all, all comes along with that. Um, what does the South mean to you? What does it represent to you? What are the things you love about it? The charming sensuality of confusion about who and what you are mm. as a region and as an individual. How do we take the things that we love about the South, maintain them, and keep and help the South continue to push forward progressively? with respect, acknowledge the poetry and quirkiness, mm. and with an equal amount of respect, offer, if you can find a way to do it, an alternative to racism, which is extremely strong still in the South and getting stronger. Thanks to uh, our hate monger president, yeah, is one com this one com one big complication with all of this. So, I mean, th this is this is a heavy loaded topic. You know what I mean? But like, how how it is it is seemingly getting stronger in a lot of a lot of ways, and still something you were you were there, you know, decades ago dealing with the same thing and here we are in 2019 almost you know 2020 still kind of dealing with the same things like what's the, what's the way forward uh, and I, I do want to talk you said this great piece today in the Q&A uh, I think it was the Q&A might have been the film just about artists being the ones to to help change the world and I mean, that, that made me feel good I like to think there's a lot of truth in that because I don't think the establishment's ever going to be the one to do that but how do we how do we have those how do we continue to have those conversations that, that will push that as artists, whether it's film, whether it's photography, whether it's, you know, in text? 
It's really a question of why wouldn't we try to do it? We just have to do it automatically because that's who we are. It is our... It is, it is our personal, ethical, and, and, and sociological obligation to just be ourselves as, as artists, concerned artists that care about making the world a better place. And without, without worrying too much about caring, uh, shouldering a big ax to, you know, to destroy people or, or, or mm. teach people, just, just, just try to show goodness and just try to show kindness. Can you, can and you can do it much easier if you do it with a bit of grace and poetry and humor uh, and without being too critical. Um, and think, then let them realize, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't have to hate that person. Yeah. I can enjoy the music, you know, and then suddenly that is an introduction through your soulful sensibility. Instead of doing a, an email introduction, <laughs> do a soul introduction. Is part of your mission to give, to amplify underrepresented voices? I mean, I'm from Eastern North Carolina. I, I love the... Um, the new piece. I haven't had the chance to see, besides in the film, the stuff in Greenville. But I love the concept so much because those are the people that I grew up with. You know, Little Washington is 20 minutes away from Greenville, and like every person that was <laughs> profiled in, in the film is, I grew up with. I played sports with their, their kids, you know. Um, and being a Southerner, growing up seeing that, that racism and seeing how those people are overlooked overshadowed, underrepresented. Um, is, it's not an obligation, but is it important to you to help give, you know, shine to their voices or give them a platform? Exactly. Could, you, could you say a little more about that? People tend to feel better when they understand that they are appreciated and that their, their, their qualities are acknowledged uh, ahead of any faults that they may have, which uh, you, they hope won't become a big part of the conversation. And if, if people feel comfortable, uh, comfortable about revealing what they're proud of about themselves, and you just let them open up, it's such a positive experience for them, then, you know, I think that's really kind of the only thing you can hope to do. Um, if you go in with a, with a knife out, it's not gonna work either for you and especially not for them. So. You see that a lot um, in today's journalism. Mm -hmm. This. Uh, thing that CNN is now doing on uh, what they call Tricky Dick. <laughs> and I keep telling people it's so much in the edit, you know, it's so subjective. 
and you see all the headshots there run of run of, of Richard Nixon with the to to push the program Tricky Dick, bad angles, <laughs> just a, incredibly aggressive to the point of being really unethical. Um, I mean, you can make anybody look good or bad. You know, you change the angle a little bit. You know, you change the nature of the focal length of the lens and you distort or you don't. You know, you, you find the good or you find the bad. I mean, you can be either one. I mean, I can make anybody with my camera look awful and evil mm -hmm. or I can make them look kind and generous. It's just so easy. You know, a little bit of light here, a little bit of camera angle there, distortion or not. I mean, you can you can acknowledge, uh, enlarge, or destroy a person's sense of themselves just just like that with a camera. You know, there's I deal with this quite a bit. You talked about it in the film. You grow up in the South. Uh, maybe had good friends in high school, <laughs> see them 20 years later, and it's like, oh, you're really a piece of shit. Um, but there's still like that connection there somewhere, right? Sure. You played ball together or you danced together, or did something. You know, you're, you used to spend the night with each other when you were in fourth grade. Like, it's kind of a two-part question, but like how, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you maintain that love because it doesn't have does it have to be destroyed just because they have these evil things about them or an evil may, may be a big word bad things about them because I think what you're alluding to is the camera can make you look any different way because I think we're all layered you know we're none yes. of us are perfect no very well said so some people have good things about them in this sense and bad things about them too and we see that like can we still have that point of empathy that we've been talking about with someone who's it's challenging to do to do it like think about it from you know from the the documentary standpoint too or if you're interviewing or working with somebody that you're like has views that are really hard for you to do but you're still you still have a job to do like how do we find that point of empathy with people when it's really hard you talk about what you share mm -hmm. very simple and I think that, that that is the gateway to there being a, some kind of commonality and a respect. Because even though you can express, I really disagree with you as a person in these ways, because I think whatever, this is a racist way to, to live your life and you, know, and you don't know it. Like the fact of the matter is, is even if you're able to still have um, a dialogue with someone um, and still talk about what the things that you do share, but you, you can still you can still give that respect and and I think that especially I feel like that in the South if you give that respect you will receive it back and that's something I've always loved about about the South and I think going going back to um, Burke's point from earlier is that there's about art right and about the museums being the the new places for truth instead of instead of you know journalism or articles or mm. you know, political punditry right and I think the reason that that is true and that will you know continue to be true is that as, as crazy and as esoteric as it sounds, I think there is truth in art. I really do think you can go and you can find truth in art because you're not being told something. You're going to experience something and, it, and it, it's revealing something to you, right? So I can't, can, I, I have a lot of friends who are extremely far right and are, are bonkers in my opinion, you know? But I still have a lot of respect and love for them. Right. But I cannot tell them. I cannot convince somebody. You can't 
accuse somebody into seeing the truth about living in systemic racism or whatever it may be. You can't accuse somebody into, into, into agreeing with you. It's just never going to work. But what you can do, and what I appreciated so much about what, what Burke's work for the museum was doing, is that it was doing exactly that and providing truth through, through experience and through art by humanizing these people who deserve it, making them works of art, and then you go and you can have that, that reciprocity with mm. these people. And maybe you might start thinking a little bit differently about the choices that you make when you are thinking about human beings when you're out in the world. And that's why I felt like it was so important that we got this film right to encapsulate that mentality. Mm. When you, <laughs> I'm sure you have friends on the other side that are like, how do you stay friends with those people? So how do you? I think because I learned something from them because I, 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 I I'm not, I'm not a genius. Right. I can't, right? Because even though, even though I don't agree with 90% of what they're saying or how they're living, every time I have a conversation with a good friend of mine who's a, we don't have the same religious views, we don't have the same any kind of views at all, but we've been best friends since we were in seventh grade. Every time I go hiking with that guy and him and I have it out and we blah, 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 I come to see a little bit more of his perspective. And not because, not that I'm going to believe him yeah. or go charge you off in that direction, but I'm like, oh, that's you why you would think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's empathy. <laughs> You're understanding at least where he or she is coming from. Right. And so uh, then, and he does the same thing. Every, we always take each other afterwards. We do it once a year. We go hiking and we have it out and we go back and forth. And every year we both text each other, you know wow, I learned a lot from, from talking to you and I, my views have changed a little bit, you know, to where I have more respect for, 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 you know, for you and for people who have your views, even though I don't, I don't, that's not something I would necessarily yeah. support. It, it, it hurts me kind of now because I feel like both sides are being as closed, both sides, which I also hate that expression, but you, sure. you know what I mean, are being just as closed off and can't reach those points. And it, it hurts me because that's not the way forward. No. And if you're, somewhat moderate or just even opening open to listening to someone who you don't agree with a lot of times you're being judged so harshly for that act and i'm like where you know where are we going like if we can't find the love in people how are we you know how are we moving forward yeah. i don't know um but i think that's something we deal with and i think that that, that with art it's important too i'm sorry were you about to say something no um it, that's a whole nother another topic, but it was intertwined in everything that we that we saw today. So I, I realize it's important to both of you. Um, Burke, there was a question today, and you allude to it in, in a lot of the things that you say in different interviews and in the film. There's a question about um, what did they say? The 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 well, essentially, it was about digital digital versus the dark room, and will that kind of what do you say the veracity of the culture or something? Uh, and you were talking about, well, what's the real tool here? That's the question I'm asking. What is, you know, the, the, the tools that we're going to have are going to change all the time. It's so, your ethic. There's truth comes from within the person. It does not come from within a medium. People who think that just because it's analog, print done in the dark room, it's truthful. That's horseshit. I mean, plain and simple, that's horseshit. Now, I can, I can show you prints done by photographers since the beginning of photography, famous prints and so forth, that, you know, where magic markers were used by Bill Brandt, you know, to put moons in pictures uh, or, or things like that, or things were crossed out uh, or, or manipulated in the darkroom to, to be somebody's face made all black or dark or 
are distorted in any number of ways. And that's not truth. That's uh, interpretation. That's somebody willfully deciding to express an opinion which may or may not be truthful to either the landscape or the person. They take it upon themselves to express themselves. And there are so many ways of doing it, you know, all through the history of photography. You go back to the very beginning of the medium and you'll see it over and over and over. And it's talked about in all the his historical uh, uh, renditions of how these people worked. So along comes Photoshop. And so you can do all kinds of things in Photoshop to manipulate, uh, or you can choose not to. I mean, I, I use Photoshop uh, a lot, but it's generally used to enhance what is actually there. But if I wanted to not do that, I could, you know, I'll make certain colors brighter or change them. And it makes the, the, the essence of the experience of seeing that place or that person, I think, more truthful rather than less truthful. Mm. So, you know, it really comes down to what the point of the person's uh, incursion into that uh, person's or landscape's aura is about. I mean, you interpret and you express. You make up, you, you judge, and then you act on that judgment. You pass a judgment and you sentence them to, you sentence the landscape of the person to what you consider to be your, your, your opinion. So, and it can be one way or another. There's no such thing as truth in art. There is opinion in art. And the opinion is either going to be ethical or not. It's actually going to be a truth that has listened carefully to the nature of either the landscape or the person as they take it upon themselves to express themselves as purely and honestly as they can. And then, then you receive that and you process it as purely and honestly as you can. And then you use the tools at your disposal to do what you hope is the right and ethical thing. Now the tools can be one thing in one medium or another thing in another medium, but it all comes down to that connection and hopefully built on an ethical representation. Um, I'm gonna switch gears for a second. Jethro, uh, I love the choice and the style of the animation that was used and Obviously, in the filmmaking medium, there's a lot of devices that you can use. We already talked about the soundtrack and how, how big of a character and a role that played in the, in the film. But with the animation specifically, like at what point, at what point do you are you in the editing room and you're like, all right, we, we need something else here. You know, what can we use? And how's it going to look like? Right. Can you walk me through the decision-making process sure, to do sure. that? Because I think it was great, and, and it added comic relief when you needed it. You know what I mean? It was a great device. Sure. Yeah, no, that process was um, 
that's that have been kind of stewing a little bit since Burke and I were, were talking through a lot of things about the film and when I, the moment that Burke started telling me his history of uh, cameras and what he had used, mm-hmm. and I realized that it was all of them, <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, so not only do we have this incredible ongoing saga of this, you know, this amazing photographer making incredible work and having this incredible legacy, but we also have this, these historical documents of someone who's used all of these mm-hmm. and been and used every tool from, you know, the rock to open the coconut to like the compound bow. Right. So he's been through all of those and he has this experience to be able to talk about it. And um, so that immediately I was like, well, you know, Burke's going to be on camera a lot, you know. So how do we show that in a really fun way for people to people who love photography and people who just don't and are just here to see a a story about, you know, a famous photographer or whatever, whatever their reasons are. How do we make that entertaining? And it seemed to be to me. that you know animation would be the way to go because you can morph through those cameras you can have Bert telling his narrating his story and you can show the physical representations of those cameras and how they worked and um luck and and i also would like to make it very explicit that that whole camera montage <laughs> i had nothing to do with me asking the right question <laughs> what i said was burke seriously can you take us through the history of the cameras that you have used and he sat back for a minute and he thought, and then he started. He went in, immediately went into the sound effects of the first cameras he had used, and it just all of that is as one string of consciousness. And I just chopped it down to size, like, and, and so that's that's the the you know the the gold mine I struck when and doing a, a film about about Bert. Um, but tr- transitioning from that into the style of the animation there was a very seriousness that we had to think about when we were thinking about animation because of the fact that you don't approach a subject like a KKK rally. Uh, and have it look cartoony and have it the seriousness of that diluted you know it needed to be evil and it needed to be really serious but I also didn't want to change styles of animation throughout the film and make it this you know montage of, of, of silly styles so when I was talking to my animator you know we, we talked about it you know how do we how do we really represent this in a way that'll do it justice throughout the film but does not change styles you know and it came down to um, line animation you know and it being a little bit gritty and that so that way it carried through and very simple mm-hmm. so it's not it's not overdone in 3d animation and all this flashy stuff you know it's really and it also kind of has a dark room contact sheets look to it as well which kind of matches the style of, of um, some of the montages with photographs we were using so those are those are the thought processes is immediately you know it just kind of dawned on me that you know we have a whole lot of um, of history to talk about that we can try to compress down and animation is a great way to represent that. Yeah, I thought that was such a brilliant thing that you did with the animation. Totally. There was a couple, <laughs> and the road trip montage, like there's a couple moments there that you just kind of just, you know, pop, popped any tension a little bit and just let the audience go for a ride. And like you, I felt it with the people around me, like that just like, Everybody loved those moments, so, and yeah. and the uh, the animation with the uh, history of the cameras was definitely one of those. Um, in art, this is a question for both of you guys. What's more important, the head or the heart? The heart. The heart. Can you say more about that? The heart is the friend, and the brain is the enemy. <laughs> in art. Yeah. Plain and simple. How so? The heart is about feelings and emotions and the sounds of the soul. Mm. And the brain is about trying to rein in all of that, to, to, to edit all of that stuff. 
the brain is the enemy. I mean, if, if you want to, if, if we can translate that technically, I mean, for mm -hmm. me personally, people talk about the editing of the film in general, right? Um, all of the editing only has to do with the emotion that I was feeling when I was watching the footage back and with what I know that I'd experienced with Burke. It has nothing to do with me trying to be really, you know, technically some kind of wizard or some nonsense. It, and, and the pacing of the film and the way that it's structured had to do with how would Burke like this? Is this what Burke would probably want to say <laughs> when I would think about that? Yeah, I think so. And how does this make me feel from this point to this point? And that's the only thing I, I try to pay attention to. That's it. It wasn't like I've got this wild master plan of how this is all going to go. It's really just kind of taking a journey with myself back through the history of what we had done and following my heart, you know, as to what needs to be shown on, on screen. And that was it. So I think the heart is all important. And I think like Burke said, you start really trying to get, because I tried to be, do some technical wizardry where I was like, I'm gonna, not going to be linear in time and I'm going to put the road trip here and here and here and here and it's all going to tie together and be this, and it was trash. <laughs> you know, I had to start completely over after I had done this like rough edit and I was like, this is awful. You know, and that was because I was getting in my own way rather than just doing the appropriate thing for the screen. Mm -hmm. Where you see the brain at work is in is, uh, ads on, uh, for the medical world on CNN. That's all about the brain at work, trying to convince people using, doing conceptual work uh, under the guise of creativity to manipulate. Mm. It's not about experience. It's not about the heart. It's the exact opposite of that. And that's usually true of commercial work in general, but particularly with, you know, the mess that uh, the medical world is in now, uh, you know, you know, the, the opioid salespeople that have, you know, made a mess of, you know, was the Sacklers, you know, they're going to have to yank down their names from the, all these prominent museums. That's the brain at work. Mm. Let's make a, let's fuck people over and make a, make a fortune at it. And then once they're really fucked over, then we'll make a, a curative medicine. We'll fuck them over some more, make some more money. Is that the heart? Hmm. How do you think that sh the sharing of stories will encourage understanding? Does that make sense? The sharing of the stories of the subjects that you work with, the sharing of the stories like one you just did, is that the goal? It offers hope. Sometimes that's all we can do. Yeah. And then the people have to take it and run with it. They have to take it and incorporate it and say, oh, that's an aha moment. There's hope. There can be beauty. There can be understanding. Um, well, gentlemen, I appreciate your time, uh, as an artist storyteller from the South, I really appreciate the work that y'all have done. I love the film. I think it was touching. Appreciate everything that, that you've done for a long time and you're still fighting the good fight. Uh, good luck to you guys in this, this run with the film. Thanks Thank for you. your time. Thanks for having us. Yeah. My name is Rain Bennett 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.